the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back listeners. Today's guest is Dr. Jaron Riley who is a pediatric orthopedist specializing in pediatric spinal issues. He recently presented a talk in Denver at our annual meeting titled Innovations in Pediatric Spine. Dr. Riley, thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm like super happy to be here. Really excited. We're happy to have you. And I did want to mention this to our listeners. If you didn't get a chance to go to Denver, you really need to buy these conferences, the AV recordings of these conferences. They're all great. And I'm super excited to have Dr. Riley here to talk about pediatric spine innovations but you really need to watch the video to see some of the content. I mean, it's really good content in there, but we're going to hit some highlights today. So Dr. Riley, your talk was about scoliosis and innovations in treatment with correcting scoliosis spinal deformities. And I wanted to follow kind of along those lines with our podcast and kind of right from the get-go, you explained that physical therapy is not effective and bracing doesn't really help that much. That's kind of been the thinking, I think, for a long time. Can you explain why those treatments aren't effective? First of all, I think all of us in the surgical community are desperate to find non-surgical treatments that will work. And I don't know if there really is a stigma out there that surgeons just like to, to perform surgery, you know, and when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But the truth is, I think most of us got into pediatric orthopedic surgery or into orthopedic spine surgery to help people and to help people in the least risky way possible. And so we are desperately looking for things that can help either arrest these curves or straighten them, which would be kind of the holy grail of this whole thing, but to do it in a non-operative way. And there's a lot of controversy, first of all, about the efficacy of either physical therapy or bracing. But I would say if we start off with physical therapy, first of all, your run-of-the-mill physical therapy, let's get our core strong and, and coordinate our core and stay active, that can be very effective for controlling the pain that can sometimes be associated with scoliosis, even though that pain is relatively minor, but it has absolutely zero effect on the curve itself. And then if we take it one step farther, there is a specific physical therapy developed for scoliosis called Schroth method physical therapy, which was originally developed in Europe. It was an inpatient therapy. So these kids would be involved in therapy for eight hours a day for like eight to 12 weeks at an inpatient sort of environment. And the initial data were good, uh, meaning that they saw some curves arrest and they even claimed to see some curves improving. But it's been very difficult when we've tried to replicate those studies under stricter circumstances with control groups and with x-rays that aren't manipulated. Unfortunately, we have not found uh, consistent, reliable data to say that there's any truth to the claim that Schroth method physical therapy can change the course of these curves, much less make them straighter. Now, just to be super fair, with that being said, there are certainly kids in my practice who went to Schroth method physical therapy, and I was thinking, you know, this is a relatively big curve. 
this kid has a lot of growth left. So the numbers would certainly tell us that this curve is gonna get worse. And as the years went by, those curves did really well and did not need surgery. So I think there may be some outliers and some ways in which Schroth can help. But if you're looking strictly at the data, the data would say that there's no difference between doing that kind of physical therapy and doing nothing. But I will say, at least half of the patients in my office have read about Schroth and they're interested in it. And if they show that interest and they're motivated, then I say, go for it. You never know if you're going to be that, you know, one in a thousand patient who receives some benefit from it. So not to talk circles around it too much, I would just say it is controversial. The hardcore evidence does not provide data that would say it's an effective treatment, but in exceptional circumstances, I think there may be some role for it. Now, when it comes to bracing, the crazy thing is we've been bracing for hundreds of years. And we never had a study that showed bracing worked until 2013. So that was the BRACED study, spelled B-R-A-I-S-T, and it was published in New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Weinstein from the University of Iowa. And he had a randomized controlled trial to bracing or no bracing with kids for curves between 25 and 40 degrees with uh, significant amounts of growth remaining, usually uh, a risk of zero to two, meaning they had anywhere from greater than two years of growth remaining to about a year of growth remaining. And what it showed was that bracing is better than doing nothing. And they showed that very quickly in the, just the first uh, like 300 patients. The trouble is, if you really break down the numbers, what you see is that about uh, 70 or so percent of the patients in the no brace group failed and went on to have a curve big enough to require surgery. In the braced group, about 42% failed and went on to have surgery. So there's a big difference between 70-something percent and 40-something percent. And so, yes, bracing is effective. But again, if you look at those numbers, you also have to say, well, even in those patients where we did all the right things and we used the correct brace and they wore it for the right number of hours, still 40-something percent of them needed surgery after that. So that's definitely something I discuss with the families because bracing is a big deal. You know, if we're going to talk about treatment, there's, you know, medicines that we can give, pills, surgery, all sorts of things. And all of those things have side effects. And bracing most certainly does. It is physically demanding. It's emotionally taxing. Uh, socially, it's very taxing. And so I just like to be really clear with my families that in no way does brace treatment and strict adherence to the guidelines guarantee success, but it is better than doing nothing. It gives us a better chance than doing nothing. So I think it's reasonable when people present braces as a good treatment potential, but the very best it's going to do is keep your curve where it is. It certainly will not make it straighter and you have about a 30% increased chance of avoiding surgery. So we just have to be really careful, I think, with how we present that. You know, this was, I guess I'm a dinosaur, but this is really news to me. I, I was not aware, and I really appreciate uh, your, you know, discussing this and, and letting us know that maybe that's, you know, not where we need to go. We need to get our, these folks into scoliosis specialists to talk about other techniques. I will say bracing is probably going to get significantly better 
the brace study that Dr. Weinstein did was with a particular brace called the Boston brace. And there are newer braces like the Renault Chagot brace and the WCR brace that are showing better results than the Boston brace. It's still not perfect, uh, but I think bracing is going to improve greatly over the next probably 10 to 20 years, thanks to CAD CAM systems. And you know, now when I started my practice, orthotists were just taking you know, tape measures still and measuring these young people and sculpting these braces. And now they do like 3D image capture using an iPad and have control over multiple axes for these braces. So I do think it will get better, but that's kind of where we are now. Let's talk about surgical techniques. This is your specialty, and you went over basically posterior spinal fusion and vertebral body tethering. And I wanted to ask, could you just kind of provide a general overview for our listeners about the the differences, kind of the background, and maybe talk a little bit about why the VBT or the vertebral body tethering is considered motion sparing. You bet. And forgive me if I nerd out on this just a little bit. I get really excited about this. I think it's fascinating stuff. And especially in the context of the patients whom we're taking care of, it's vitally important to understand where we were so that when we look at where we are currently, it makes more sense and kind of gives us a direction and, and helps us understand why we have the struggles we do. Scoliosis, of course, was described by Hippocrates. It's been around forever, and we've been trying to treat it for thousands of years. And as recently as about 100 years ago, there were some small improvements made. Casts became slightly more effective, and then they somehow came up with the idea well, what if we actually surgically expose the spine and expose the posterior elements of the bones and see what happens here? And of course, they weren't that cavalier about it, but what they found was that exposure, simple exposure of the posterior elements of the spine, you know, the spinous process, the lamina, the transverse processes, exposure would cause the bones to react and to grow together, kind of like two pieces of a broken bone would grow back together after a fracture. And so that is what a fusion is in its most basic sense. It's simply getting two pieces of bone that weren't intended to be part of one bone to grow together and they become a solid piece of bone. So they're a living, breathing biological mechanism that can withstand stress. So early on, the strategy was to expose the spine, get it to fuse and put them in a cast while it's fusing to try to help the shape of the spine but as you can imagine, uh, there's a fair amount of morbidity to that in terms of just the surgical exposure. Um, the casts being an external force levied upon the spine were not very effective in gaining correction, and they were maybe modestly effective at stopping the curve uh, from progressing while the fusion was taking place. So then around the 1960s, with the advent of Dr. Harrington, you have the introduction of Harrington rods which were simple ratcheting rods to which you could connect a hook. So now, instead of just exposing the spine and hoping for fusion in a reasonable orientation, you had an implant that you could put in that would mechanically straighten the spine and hold it in place while those bones are fusing. So I think one thing that people frequently mistake when it comes to scoliosis and fusion 
is that it is the hardware that is forever holding you in place. And we've got to rely on this hardware to remain strong forever and ever. And that's not true at all. What we're really hoping to do is have the bones themselves heal and they become the structural force that withstands stress and holds up over a lifetime. And the instrumentation, the hardware just becomes window dressing essentially. So with the Harrington rods, that was a big step forward. But as with any big step forward, we also learned a lot about what we should not do. And so in certain cases, we would actually straighten the spine too much with Harrington rods, creating a syndrome called flat back syndrome, where we not only straightened out the scoliosis, but we also unfortunately got rid of the normal curves and contours that we see on human beings from the side, our normal kyphosis in the lumbar spine, that little curve that comes back to our shoulder blades, and our normal lordosis in the lumbar spine, which is that forward curve that comes toward the belly button. We actually erased those curves too, and biomechanically, that's a terrible thing to do. So as with any step forward, again, there are things that you have to learn. It probably is going to help a certain segment of the population, and it will have untoward side effects. And so flat back syndrome was terrible. It actually caused a lot of adjacent segment degeneration, which is where above or below the fusion, the discs that are still intact will break down because of abnormal stresses. Again, years went by. We developed better implants we understood the three-dimensional anatomy of the spine better. And so over the last 40 to 50 years, fusions have improved astronomically. I mean, the complication rates are incredibly low, especially when it comes to neurologic injury and infection. And our biggest worry is that over time, that fused or frozen segment of the spine, which no longer moves, transfers so much stress to the remainder of the spine that it causes those segments to degenerate and then causes us to have to go in and do more surgery later in life to extend the fusion. And those surgeries later in life become quite morbid, quite risky. And we really, of course, want to avoid that. So what we've always been looking for is something in the line of a fusion in the sense that it can help us to stop the curve from progressing and it can help us make the curve straighter but we don't want to stop the motion. And we talk a lot about motion, but really for me, it's not so much how far can you bend. It's simply the fact that each segment of the spine remains independent and can accept stress independently so that stress can be transferred over 20 individual segments rather than being focused on the segments above and below a fusion. So we've always been looking for this uh, the first reasonable results have been seen with this newer procedure called vertebral body tethering. Stay tuned for next week when we have more of Dr. Riley's discussion on innovations in pediatric medicine with vertebral body tethering, a new technique for scoliosis management. Listeners, we wanted to make you aware of our second annual orthopedic boot camp. This will be in Charlotte, November the 4th through the 6th. Our target audience will be newer colleagues or those new to orthopedics in their first few years. We'll have injection techniques where you can practice on mannequins, uh, basic radiograph interpretation, coding and billing, and a lot more. Registration information is on our website, paos.org, and I hope to see you there.